0: Welcome to the Layer of secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist and I'm experiencing the fall crush when every possible time commitment I have friends, scouts, work, family collides into a handful of weekends. So I'm hoping to make it through the event horizon, but it's it's going to be a little rocky.
1: (laughs) Uh, and I am David Moore and I have found the Neil Gaiman section of our library and I have been inspired. Uh, I may have also delved into the heady world of JavaScript frameworks. Uh, the less said about that the better
0: that's quite the mashup you've got going there yeah
1: yeah yeah um i'll i'll talk about the the neil gaiman section uh later on
0: but what is going on with you this week i am staying sane by watching hockey (laughs) which i don't know that 20 year old me would ever have been like oh yeah that makes sense but um (laughs) I'm in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Uh, We are known for our minor league teams. And so we've got uh, the the Iron Pigs during the summer, and we have the Phantoms in the fall, winter – early springish, right? So the Iron Pigs are the A affiliate of the Phillies, who you might have heard are in the World Series. Uh, the podcast will probably come out in a while, so I'm not going to make any guesses as to what happens <laughs> during the World Series. But they did make it that far, even though my Mets did not. Um, and meanwhile, the Phantoms are basically the equivalent, like sort of A affiliate of the Flyers. So uh, a friend of mine has season tickets, and he's like, hey, do you want to go to the opening game? I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. So, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm, I lo- I enjoy hockey. It's uh, it's one of those things. Like I, I'm, it, you know, growing up in the '80s, like watching the classic, uh, you know, United States versus Russia, and, um, you know, the Miracle on Ice, what have you. Like certainly, it, like there's a certain amount of hockey that's just kind of like baked into my brain because of that. But I think um, it's just fun to get out and do something in the winter that's not just like sitting on your sofa the whole time, right? So. The, the big thing that was holding me back from hockey was every time I would go to see a Phantoms game, I would get a splitting migraine because the ice is so incredibly bright and oh. the arena is so incredibly dark. Mm. And so I would just get this splitting headache. So now I just pregame with two Excedrin, have a beer while I'm there, and everything is sweet. So um,
1: Sunglasses might help, too.
0: Sunglasses could help, but uh, <laughs> but you know I, I found that the Excedrin and a beer uh, uh, took the edge off, and so gotcha. I had also I had gotten a gift certificate from my uh, from my mother-in-law like a year or two ago for like a hundred dollars for the Phantoms. I'm like, oh, this is great, and then I because of COVID we just never quite made it there, right? And right. so this time we made it. I should have worn it tonight. I forgot that I had these notes in my show notes, but I could be wearing my new Phantoms jersey, nice, which looks like a Flyers jersey but with like a big Phantom on the front of it. So. It was uh, it was great. The other the other cool thing is my my daughter goes to school in Vermont. Uh, her school has a hockey team, mm-hmm. and uh, it turns out you can watch college hockey on ESPN Plus, which I already have because of Disney Plus and Hulu Plus and what have you, right? So gotcha. I can I can now watch hockey games whenever I want, college hockey games whenever I want. So nice. it's fun. You know, it's just it's a nice diversion from the real world, and uh, you know, it can be about more than just baseball. Gotcha. So Tailspire.
1: Yeah, so Tailspire. We've talked in last in the last few episodes about Tailspire and stuff. I wrote recently on the site, I wrote a review of, of Tailspire, how I feel about it. Check that out at Layer of Secrets. I'm also in the process of writing uh, what will hopefully become a video on how to get started GMing in Tailspire uh, and like how to think of Tailspire as a virtual tabletop you know so it's not like roll 20 where you have fog of war you know or other things like that you can hide things from the players by default it's almost like you're playing with miniatures and terrain on the table and so players can see everything that's on the table and in and in tailspire players can see everything that's in tailspire as long as they move the camera around so if you were hoping for them to like walk upstairs and then open a door and then suddenly be surprised by what's behind the door then as a gm you might need to hide the contents of that room (laughs) because otherwise the player could just move their camera and look in that room they're not their camera's not linked to their mini Um, and so i wanted to talk about more stuff about that in uh, like starting off gming and and is tailspire the right virtual tabletop for you I think it is for us. We're gonna definitely give it its paces when we do our cyberpunk game, which would probably be early next year.
0: Yeah, I think I think so. It, it, it was cool playing with it in our play test for our, our cyberpunk like combat play test. It was fun, and and it is just like a real. It's like you're standing at a con, or you're just standing in your game room, and you can just like look around and and kind of just move your viewpoint to see whatever you wanted to see. Yeah. And um and that was cool. It was also cool how characters would pop out of line of sight, right? Um, yeah, that is the
1: one that is the one thing that they have done, like if your mini that is assigned to you cannot see because of other obstructions an, an enemy mini, it will that will disappear. Right. The actual terrain that your character can't see um, will not disappear to your player.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a little, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great video. good things to think about. It's a different mindset, right? Especially if you're used to like fog of war and roll 20 and it's a more locked down. Yeah. Like like Albert rodeo
1: doesn't have a fog of war, like a, like a default fog of war based on the mini, but you can hide certain areas with a, a manual fog. And there's basically an analog of that in tailspire. Uh, where you can hide a huge section of the map if you need to, and then just turn it back on. Before we leave virtuality, however, um, <laughs> you wanted to talk about your virtual game room.
0: Yeah. So I finally pulled the trigger. I think we've talked about this on and off for a couple of years, <laughs> <laughs> but I finally got the NVIDIA GeForce now, oh, um, cool, cool. which honestly sounds like a cartoon we would have watched as kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, battle of the planet sort of thing. Right. Um, so, gotcha it's, uh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I had tried it a couple times before, and I have Half Life 2, which I can't run on my Mac anymore because um, the, the wrong chipset and 64 bit and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I powered it up, fired off Half Life 2, which is not exactly the most taxing video game for a modern computer. It is um, not. But it, worked, but it proved that I, my Steam library could be connected to my NVIDIA GeForce Now account, and everything was there. So um, my second game and the reason why I got it was Cyberpunk 2077. because nice. I don't have a computer that is capable of running this, nor do I have a console that is capable of running this because it didn't come out for the Mac, but I think it's going to work. Like so far I haven't actually, here's the thing. I put it up on my computer and I started going into character creation and playing around with it. And I realized, you know what? I'm really going to need a keyboard and a mouse. <laughs> Cause you can uh, do it with
1: uh like I play with, with controller but i think at the very beginning i might have um no actually i use both i use both i started <laughs> i think my first playthrough i used keyboard and mouse my second playthrough i used controller and my second 0.5 game where i'm trying to go through like the last <laughs> half of it to get the secret right. secret ending
0: uh i'm playing on the steam deck so that's also controller, so. Right, right, so it's just, it's weird. I don't know, I was just sitting there, I had it booted up and I'm like, yeah, I think I need to focus. I think I just need to do this on my computer on my big monitor and I'm just gonna power it up and like actually use a mouse. And I haven't used a mouse to play a video game in I don't know how many years. It would probably <laughs> do really well in the in the combat sections of which
1: there can be a lot. But I also did find that the, now I played mostly on Netrunner, which allows for slowed time. Ah, um, gotcha. Which, which the controller was fine for.
0: So yes, I can see that. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't know when I will have the time because of the aforementioned time crunch. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe when we get into it. So the, for those of you who aren't familiar, NVIDIA GeForce Now is basically it's an online streaming service. It can actually define my terms, right? And so you, I'm paying. I think 10 bucks a month to be able to have six hours a day of basically access to a virtual computer, right? Like it just, what you basically need is a a decent enough computer to run it on and a fast internet connection. So Mm -hmm. fast internet connection can be a bit dubious up here in the game room, but (laughs) I think it'll be sufficient for what I'm going to try and do. And it's certainly cheaper than going out and buying a new computer. And at that subscription level, you get a
1: pretty decent graphics card attached to that virtual computer.
0: Yeah, it looks pretty. Well, I haven't actually got into the game itself yet, but it sure does look pretty in the on the boot screens and like the character creation interface. So I'm looking forward sure. to it. There are sure. the thing to keep in mind is that it it is not truly a virtual Windows machine in which you can just cho- to, like, choose to install whatever you want on it. The games have to be compatible with it. So by way of example, Tailspire does not run on it. Um, because they don't support that a cloud-based option for it, which is, you know, totally fine. But you shouldn't go into it thinking, oh, I've wanted to play this game for years and now I'm gonna boot it up and I had it in Steam. But just because you have it doesn't mean that you
1: can use it. Just because Steam has it. Like, just because like Steam you, has it doesn't mean you can use it. From what I remember, basically it's like, you don't have to pay for games for Nvidia GeForce Now. You, you allow your Steam collection and I think probably other like, yeah, maybe, there's like two maybe or three other platforms. games or whatever. But like you can say, hey, I'm giving NVIDIA. I'm allowing them to access my list of of Steam games. You know, you just select which one you want, and it will launch that right.
0: game, right? It's just not all of them can be launched. So yeah. if you're thinking about trying it out, I would recommend that you just you make sure that it will actually run on uh, NVIDIA GeForce before you actually you know, like pull the trigger on it. But it's not yeah. like it's a huge expense, right? It's like well, there is, the, there is the
1: there is the free tier which allows you for one hour a day on a reasonable graphics card. And so if you're if you're at all curious out there as to whether or not a whether or not a uh, uh, sorry, I just noticed we have a chat message so. Hello. Uh, Hello, Nick Terrace. (laughs) Um, Thank you for the moral support that uh, uh, like if you're at all curious of if a significant portion of your library is is or is not available, you could certainly try the free tier. Yeah. And I imagine there's probably a list somewhere of what what works or doesn't.
0: Yeah. So anyway, it's cool. I can't I'm looking forward to this experiment. It may be overly ambitious of me to think that I could get in six hours of gaming a day, but uh... I'm gonna try. Six hours is a lot. (laughs) Six Six hours is a lot lot for uh, our age. (laughs) In terms of my fun would have no problems with six hours a day, but you know, but we have a
1: few more requirements to our to our time. This is this is all too true. So
0: talking about requirements on your time,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I am gonna try and do Nano RIMO again this year. So for those of you who are not familiar, Nano RIMO stands for National Novel Writing Month. Uh, And the idea is, is starting November 1st, you're not allowed, you can outline, you can do some planning, but you're not allowed to actually start writing until midnight, November 1st. And so you're challenged to, during the month of November, to write a 50,000 word, quote unquote, novel. 50,000 words is not really a novel. Uh, It's more like (laughs) 100,000 words is a novel, but that's not the goal of NaNoWriMo. You're not supposed to get published off the stuff you do in NaNoWriMo. In fact, the stuff. In fact, most of the advice is: this is a challenge to like see that to tell yourself you can do this. You can find the right. time to write. You can write fifty thousand words in a month. You don't have to write that fast all the time because that is a lot. Uh, right. And you know, yeah. And so, uh, but it's to prove to yourself that you can do it. And so, after NaNoWriMo, the idea is you keep writing. You may, right. You may. As they call it trunk that novel and just like throw it in a thing some people edit it some people add to it and edit it and try and get it published um in fact uh valerie valdez uh from chilling effect and a couple of others other novels uh several of those were her naNoWriMo novels um that she rewrote and edited heavily and then submit it for publication. But the idea is to show yourself that you can do it. I have not been able to succeed at that so far, but I have written a lot in the past. Um, in fact, uh, a friend of mine and I, we wrote about the equivalent of like 450,000 words, um, which is basically three novels worth of, of stuff, co-writing back and forth, but solo writing I've not really felt comfortable doing. Um, I always have my characters agree with each other too much um, sort of thing. And so I'm using this as a as, as a way to just get in the habit of writing because um, I've been wanting to for a long time and I just have not committed to it. And so I'm committing to it. Um, I am currently at 1,384 words today. If I want to succeed, your your average word count needs to be 1,667 words per day in order to reach 50,000 words by the end of November. So some days will be more, some days will be less, but that's the average. So I'm hoping to make it to 1,700 words after we record before I go to bed. And so that's what I'm hoping for. I have
0: confidence in your ability to do that. To do that. <laughs> thanks, thanks. It is, a, it is a fun challenge. I did it in 2007, I think. It was a long time ago. It's been around Wait. for a while. Yeah. So and it's hard. I mean, writing and I write a lot, but like not, and I don't write now nearly as much as I used to. But, you know, it's still every day pounding out like effectively seven seventeen hundred words. Yeah. It's a challenge. So good luck. It is. Thanks. Yeah. Did you Um, 2007
1: was probably about the same time that I, I think you participated at least one year in Ho No to Girl BMO. Do you remember that (laughs) i participated in uh nano monkeys (laughs) so hono to grow bmo is a much smaller version but it came out about the same time as no shave november okay and so hono to grow bmo is how not to grow a beard month and so
0: (laughs) well yes i can totally do that (laughs) so the idea
1: was on october 31st um you shave everything off and then you don't shave the entire month of November. And then you take a picture every day and you do a little blog post on the Hono to Grow a BMO site, which I don't think exists anymore. No, I don't think it does. And so we, you go through and, and being much younger back then and never having grown a full beard at the time it would, and. I was not the only one this would happen to. It would it would grow in little patches. You know, there'd be spaces. Wouldn't grow very much. About a week or two into it, it would get super itchy. Oh yeah. And yeah. And yeah. It was it was, but it was fun. It, you know, the 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 humorousness on it was uh, on the blog post was really fun. And so, uh, but yeah. So saying 2007 and having it be the same month, because it was the same month as NaNoWriMo.
0: I think I I did, because I think I terrified my son, because he was really little. (laughs) He was a baby, and I shaved off my goatee, and he had never seen me without my goatee. He he came home from my mother-in-law's with my wife, and she went to hand him to me, and he was like, what the hell is this? And I posted some photos on Twitter, and people were like, what the hell? I have had a goatee since I was like... 26. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Like, But this is all I can do. I can't do the beard. Yep. Yeah. So, I think the only yeah. person
1: who really could do the beard was uh, uh, our friend Smar. Mm. He was he always participated in it. And there was a donation thing where we'd compete right. for donations and stuff. Right. And <laughs> like my job at one point was like, yeah, we'll donate to this because it was it was uh, we started the donations uh, to donate to a cancer society the one year I almost won one year because my company submitted like $400. um, But then uh, Smar went around to his friends at the hospital that he worked at and like got like 600 or something like that. Like, like blew me out of the water by several hundred dollars. (laughs) Then there was one year uh, that this might've been prior to, there was like voting. Mm -hmm. This might've been prior to the, the monetary winning, but our friend uh Natalie, uh fuzzy slug, uh she won one year because she totally did not grow a beard. <laughs> I think that was a little excellent. cheating, but excellent. We allowed excellence. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking uh we we've, we've been Ken and I have been talking about getting the cyberpunk game off the ground and we wanted to talk a little bit more about like what is between the two of us but what is for all of you what is cyberpunk you know like and
0: what are our inspirations for this game going to be yeah so i, I did the old hey let me look up the definition because I, I have to say like in some ways like cyberpunk's just in my dna i grew up with it and so came and out you know late when you see it,
1: mid actually early to mid 80s is when it first Right, so like that Neuroman- definition started.
0: Right, so William Gibson writes Neuromancer in 1984, or it, it's released in 1984. Right, mm-hmm. so that's really. Kinda, I mean, there were cyberpunkish stuff obviously that came before that that inspired him and inspired like. But that's when the wave really took off. That's when we really started seeing cyberpunk. Right, and I was in the uh, sixth grade. <laughs> So I don't think I mean I think I probably read it in high school. I don't honestly remember when I read Neuromancer for the first time, but there was all of this stuff that started percolating up as, you know, as far as certainly Blade Runner. I think I may have actually read do uh uh Philip K Dick's do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep before Blade Runner. But in any case, uh, what the heck, before I read uh, Neuromancer, but in any case, what is it? So uh, Oxford Languages via Google says, uh, it's a genre of science fiction set in a lawless subculture of an oppressive society dominated by computer technology, that's the easy one. Uh, Wikipedia's definition was a subgenre of science fiction in a dystopian future setting that tends to focus on a combination of low life and high tech, featuring futuristic technology and scientific achievements such as artificial intelligence and cybernetics. juxtaposed yeah i can speak um (laughs) with social societal collapse dystopia or decay right so whereas previously you had more optimistic visions of the future cyberpunk is envisioning a future where there may be some really cool amazing things going on but at the same time society is collapsing technology has a cost and that cost may very well be your humanity so wikipedia goes on to say that it's rooted in the new wave science fiction movement of the 60s and 70s with writers like uh, Philip K. Dick, Michael Moorcock, Roger Zelazny, John Bronner, uh, J.G. Ballard, uh, Philip Jose uh, Farmer, and Harlan um, Harlan Ellison. Um, And in their books, they're exploring the impact of drug culture and technology and sexual revolution and kind of mashing that up with the earlier utopias. So that's all paraphrased out of Wikipedia because I want to make sure that I'm giving my proper attribution. Um, But it sounds about right, though. Right. Um, It's uh, it's an interesting mishmash. And I think I saw somebody who was talking about cyberpunk and like, it's fun to play in cyberpunk. It's it's fun to like vacation in that world. But I don't know that like cyberpunk is a future that you aspire to. No. (laughs) Right. Like that's one of the things that sets it apart from other, other science fictions.
1: That's also kind of the, the, what's interesting about some of it is like, you'll see all these dystopian future novels or other things like that. And then people are like, yeah, we should do that. It's like uh, you realize that's not a good future, right?
0: It was a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. (laughs)
1: Like, like, I I think a lot of the 60s and 70s new wave was also like it was a reaction to the golden age of science fiction, where everything was like a utopia, where there was like the one guy. Usually it it was almost always a man, uh, a man. Who was like, could do everything, that sort of, that sort of thing. Plus also, you know, the Vietnam War happened. And so there was a lot of stuff in there that was like, we're being disillusioned with it. Wasn't like World War II where we came home victorious from smashing the Nazis. We suddenly lost faith in our government, you know, and faith in corporations and and other things like that. And so I think that's where a little bit of that new wave science fiction came in. And then that was more government. But I would say with cyberpunk in the 80s, you know, there was a lot of maybe corporations aren't so great, you know, they're influencing our our elections, etc. It's only gotten even worse since then, uh, in that sense. But, uh, you know, I think that's partly where that that came from. And of course, there's the huge punk music scene in the 70s. And that's definitely where the the punk part of cyberpunk comes from, um,
0: and definitely rebelling against things. Yeah, I think if you're looking at, you know, especially like you know Michael Moorcock and uh, and Roger Zelazny, where you're having more like anti heroes as the protagonists of the book or the person who's driving it along, right? Like
1: Elric is not. Elric is Elric is not like Conan could be considered like a golden age science fiction fantasy. You know, he's he's big. He can beat everything up. Um, right. he always wins. <laughs> Elric is is thin. He's sickly. If he didn't have uh not Stormbreaker, what's what's Elric's? Stormbringer. Is it Stormbringer? Stormbringer, right? Yeah. I thought there there was another, there's another the, sword there too. But it is uh, not Black Razor. It is definitely not Black no. Razor. <laughs> uh if if not for Elric's sword that could literally suck the souls out of his enemies to and then give that life force to him, he would not survive as often as Conan did. You know, <laughs> you know, he yes. can he yes. he himself cannot rely on him his own self and his own body and magics to get by. He has to rely on other tools. Um right. and so that yeah, that's definitely more along the lines of. Not everything's perfect, you know, and he's definitely not,
0: he's cool, but he's definitely not necessarily the hero, right? Right, and and Philip K. Dick, I think, you know, trippy stuff, like just have yeah, one with words, and just like his, it, it is truly a trip. And I have to say, when I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, I was very confused because I saw Blade Runner, then yeah. I read the short story, and I'm like, I'm I'm confused. (laughs) How did they get Blade Runner
1: from Do Androids
0: Dream of Electric Sheep?
1: How did how did they get Blade Runner from? I believe the word is Kipple comes from Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. And and there is portions of it in there. You know, people have are leaving like the the part where people are leaving Earth and Earth is kind of decrepit is definitely there, but I don't think replicants ever show up in do Androids Dream of electric sheep, but it's been yeah. a long time since I wrote it's it. It's been I a very long it time. Since I, wrote I think it. I read yeah, it. I think <laughs> I <you> wrote it. <laughs> did
0: not write it. You're such a fan that you rewrote it line, re-wrote by, it. line, it. line yes. by line yourself. Yes. Right? I read yes. it in like seventh grade.
1: So I read it much, been... ab-
0: much later than seventh grade. So <laughs> it's been a while. So talking about our own personal inspirations for cyberpunk, which, you know, these are things that I can see wanting to draw on in a, in a campaign. Um, so Neuromancer, I'm actually rereading it right now and it's, it's truly fantastic. Um, I enjoyed it the first two times I read it, but I think I'm enjoying it more now because I'm paying more attention to the tropes and the, and the phrasing and just, I think I'm just more cognizant of just how good of a book it is. <laughs> cool. Um, you know, Gibson's just, he's, he's a good writer and, um, I, I it's been long enough since I last read it that I've forgotten some of the details of the book. But basically, it's your archetypal cyberpunk novel, right? Like you've got a down and out um, protagonist living on the edge, probably like a month or two away from dying from a drug overdose. Uh, he got burned out on a bad net run. So his, his nervous system is completely fried. He can't jack into the Matrix anymore. Um, and yes, he's jacking into the Matrix. It's a physical connection. There's no wireless, right? Um, and the the other thing that's cool is kind of, it's. It, there's a foreword by w- William Gibson that talks about how Neuromancer did not anticipate cell phones, right? And so how mm-hmm. how ubiquitous cell phones would be. Um, But it's funny, like, things come back around again. Like, I have these wired earphones that I'm using right now, right? Right. Um, Because he talks about banks of of, uh, payphones in the book. And the thing I I noticed when reading it is it's been so long that in some way there was a point where the, the future seemed to have arrived, and now we're past it. And there's some things in the book where it's like, well you purposely take steps back right like polaroid yeah. film right there was a time where we were going completely digital and everybody's like i just love digital and i don't want to touch film at all right and now right. there's a renaissance where we have polaroid film because people like that idea people are bringing slides back they're bringing like actual like uh black and white film back right and so you can see like those those relics of the past being carried forward into the future because people are like, this was a great thing. So why not jack into things, right? There could be a future. I guess it's it's gone all the way back around again, right? Where in the beginning right. it was like, of course you're gonna jack into it. And then like in the early aughts or like 2010, you're like, ah, come on, Wi-Fi, how could you not have anticipated that? And now it's like, well, I don't know. It's kind of a cesspool of Wi-Fi networks out there. I think if you want to be safe, you might want to jack into that deck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Talking about, like, Cyberpunk 2020 and Cyberpunk Red for a moment. Yeah. History diverged. You know, it's called Cyberpunk 2020 because it was set in 2020. Back when it was written. (laughs) Right. Obviously, we're past 2020 now, and uh, things are very different. But, like, it diverged, I think, in the late 70s or 80s is when similar to like how the fallout franchise diverged in like the fifties and sixties from what we have to what they have, you know, uh, cyberpunk red did and, and 2020 did the same thing. The cyberpunk franchise, uh, game franchise did the same thing. Uh, and so like they didn't develop wifi the same way, you know, right. uh, scream sheets are a still a thing that where the, you can print them out on paper, and and news you know like it's not the internet of today that got broken up it was a completely different type of net right back when uh you know in terms of the cyberpunk history yeah it's it's an alternate
0: history is what i'm trying to say yes and i have to say in rereading neuromancer i understand understand why nobody wants to go to meta's virtual world because compared to neuromancer it sucks <laughs> yeah i don't want my Wii avatar i want a shared hallucination of infinite horizons of just like digital sp- like you want ready like, i'm player at a one. loss for word yeah i want ready you player want ready player one, player one. <laughs> but also i don't want ready player one because well, that yeah. is a
1: dystopian future.
0: <laughs> yes. But, you know, like the the way that he describes cyberspace and how you interact with it, I think it's wildly impractical. But that's like, I don't know. I look at virtual reality sometimes and it's like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Now, as opposed to some of the virtual play sets and stuff that we've talked about previously, where that's starting to feel more like what I was hoping. Like, man, cyberpunk like, and cyber in general, it always pissed me off. when Like, it, it, there's a connection between your mind and the net. Right, it's not right. just like, oh, we're in cyberspace. No, <laughs> unless right. you're jacked in in some way, or you're completely immersed in virtual reality, you are not cyber anything. Um, if I may rant slightly, I would love <laughs> like if we're talking slight tangent on Tailspire there.
1: I'd, I would love like Tailspire is great, and you know it's 3D, it's a cool tabletop, you can move around on it, etc. I'm not being paid by Tailspire. Uh, but what i would really love and they're busy doing other stuff so i don't think they're gonna do it uh anytime soon but i would love to put on my oculus rift or uh, oculus quest 2 that my wife has and be able to like grab the table and turn it and pick up my miniature and and move it and then see even if it's just like a demio is a is is a game which basically it looks like you're playing in someone's 1980s basement and and each person has like this mask, this stylized mask that you can swap out. Um, you can unlock them and whatever. like even if there was like some sort of cool 3D digital avatar, but they don't have to be it doesn't have to be my face. It doesn't have to show right. my expression. Right. but like being able to see people around the table in that fashion and then talk to them on voice chat, I think that would be the next step up cool that would get us closer to a cool cyber sort of thing but we're still nowhere near it yeah and i will say i think it was just this year maybe late last year that i was reading an article about a company that had developed a cyber eye effectively for blind people you know it was very low resolution but you could kind of see stuff but then they discontinued it uh so all of these people who have this in their head, suddenly yeah, have no this. support, you know, no updates, no anything. And if something in the hardware goes wrong, whatever, like the company's still yeah. there. They're just like, this isn't profitable for us. We're gonna pivot into something else. The idea of having someone put a port in the back of my neck <laughs> that that may or may not be supported in a year,
0: Oh, come terrifies on. me.
1: I used to, you know, like, as, as, a, as an early 20s person, like, getting into cyberpunk, I thought, that would be awesome. And now I'm thinking, that is terrifying. Look how long USB has lasted. Come on. Yeah, which USB?
0: Well, you know, we got USB. Well, but they've evolved. There's adapters. USB-A, USB-B, USB-C, USB, a, USB,
1: B, USB, C,
0: USB on,
1: mini, micro.
0: You just have a ponytail of these adapters coming out of the right. back of your head. Yeah. You just have a line of dongles,
1: you know, <laughs> right. just keep adding a dongle. It's all What good. happens if it's a lightning cable? <laughs> what if, it, what if it's a proprietary port that you can only use, you know, Arasaka tech on?
0: Yeah. Well, that is our dystopian future right there for cyberpunk. Right. So exactly. no other inspiration. Um, uh, so I haven't read it. You did. Um, Mike Pondsmith, uh, this is apparently one of his inspirations for Cyberpunk, the role-playing game, um, which is hardwired by Walter John uh, Williams. Is it John Williams or Jan Williams? I think it's John.
1: Okay. My my father-in-law spelled his name John that way. I have a friend, Jan, who
0: spells his name, spells way too. His name so that anyway, way, Okay. So anyway, right. we diverge. But Walter case,
1: J. Williams. <laughs> Walter, there you go. Um, yeah you know, i I did read that I think I read Mona Lisa. Le- I think the order that I read things in a, in the cyberpunk genre I was already I believe playing shadowrun at the time and I was like I would like to read fiction about this other than the fiction around shadow shadowrun uh, I think right. I read Mona Lisa overdrive first and then uh and then later on I sometime later on I picked up hardwired you know shortly after within a year or so and it is uh i can there are definitely direct inspirations for cyberpunk 2020 from that book like hover tanks uh orbital people in the, people in orbit dropping rocks on the earth all sorts of other stuff like you know of course you know cyberware etc but like all sorts of other stuff like that there's an ai in it etc and it, i can i can see the direct line from hardwired to that, like in terms of uh, like, I had, I remember pieces of it. I don't know if I still have the book. It was decent. It was a decent book. I think, you know, like uh, going down our list, I like, I don't remember much of Mona Lisa overdrive or Neuromancer. I remember a heck of a lot about snow crash.
0: Yes. Which is, I think Snow Crash is probably my all-time favorite cyberpunk book. It was—it's probably my favorite Neil Stevenson book behind Kryptonomicon's uh, a close second, but um, well, maybe a third Cause, because because uh, <laughs> the Diamond Age is also quite good. Yes, um, but Snow Crash is great because it, it kind of came at, near the end of the cyberpunk movement, more like um, it was almost 90s, a right?
1: satire of the cyberpunk movement as well. And it was a lot of, there was a decent amount, unlike some of, unlike many of Neil Stevenson's books, that after it, it was pretty humorous. <laughs> it was. And it, you know, and it also ended on a pretty decent note. Like, like they solved the mystery and there is a mystery in there ish. Uh, and, you know, they solved the big, the big puzzle thing and people live happily ever after, which, is not normally part of the cyberpunk trope but i think the humor actually i know the humor in it is one of the reasons why i remember it so well you know when you have and in fact john scalzi at one point uses um the main character the main character is is h-i-r-o pronounced hero (laughs) hero protagonist is the actual main character's name okay (laughs) and one of the other characters is yt which stands for yours truly, or at least that's what she says. And, and he uh, hero at the beginning of the novel is a deliverator and he's driving this super, you know, this <laughs> souped up car and super fast. And he's, he's, you know, taking turns really fast and stuff like that. And you find out the deliverator is a pizza delivery driver and he's trying to get to, to deliver a pizza within 30 minutes or less. Because if he doesn't, then the family that has ordered the pizza gets a free trip to Hawaii, you know, and <laughs> and he almost misses the the delivery window sort of thing. And uh, and so that's like the opening of that book. And it's like it hooked me. But that's like. That's like on the Animaniacs almost set uh, <laughs> side of cyberpunk. It's on the the kindest of, it, it gets more serious later, but. Like it's a good book, but I almost don't consider it cyberpunk. It's got a lot of the trappings, <laughs> but it's not well, think, really like punk.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it, it it loses some of the punk, I think. But you know, it's got it has your corporate enclaves, it's got your like I loved the three ring binders, right? I guess it was also kind of where I was in my career, right? Like I could really relate to Hero Protagonist and what he was who was going through. <laughs> I loved like the idea of it. Um, one of the main concepts or the main story in the mystery is basically this virus that's infecting people's minds and and destroying them, which is the actual snow crash. Right. So that you basically like, people's minds are shutting down and um, the origin of said technology, which is actually uh, exceedingly old and predates all other technologies. And it kind of goes to the root of language. Um, It was a cool concept. Like those are the parts that I I really enjoyed, but yeah, so he has Mm -hmm. fun with it. Um, there's certainly a lot of cyberpunk tropes, but to your point, like, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it as a capstone to all of the cyberpunk reading that I had done, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> the,
1: the diamond age, I would say is uh, a lot more on the cyberpunk and the dark side of things. Oh yes. Not as much humor. It's, it's interesting. Like, I kind of wonder how much he knew about like the movie industry in that one, because they have at one point the diamond age has a really long alternate title it's like i think a young lady's illustrated primer or something yes um but basically this little girl has this physical book but it's also a piece of technology and when she opens the book she gets connected to this set of virtual actors basically and they have implants in their face to track their facial movements And then the more implants they have, the more precise that facial movement is, which if you know anything about how they track facial movements for special effects (laughs) nowadays, they put lots of little dots on your face and aim cameras at it. That is exactly the same technology that he's describing in in the Diamond Age. And I wonder if he knew if that technology had been developed and he knew about it and just extrapolated from it, or if that's something that has come about since then, which it's pretty cool. And there's a lot of stuff in there about like nanotechnology and other stuff like that, um, which really started to come into play at the end of, uh, like the cyberpunk genre, the initial wave of the cyberpunk genre, like nanotechnology was, was new at that point right, in right. the real world right. being talked about. Right,
0: And he has, he has fun with uh, cultures. There's a neo-Victorian movement that's happening in, in the book. And so I think it's, it is a, it is much more of a darker, more dystopian future. And there's a lot more of like societal clashes between cultures and, and like class ranks is, is much more of a themes of that particular book. Whereas snow crash is just, you know? Yeah. And actually if, if I recall it, <laughs> at, at one point, there are
1: people being used as computing power.
0: Yes. Yes. So. Um, So another book, I've read it. I don't know if you've read it. Altered Carbon by Richard Morgan. Um, I think it was actually a series of books. I just read the first one. Um, I've watched the
1: Netflix series and then the animated series uh, as well, which is really, really good. I have not seen the animated
0: one. I only saw the (laughs) – I started watching it, and I was – I think I had a really bad cold or the flu or something like that, and it was just so trippy that I just couldn't – because I was so sick while I was watching it that it I is pretty a weird trippy as face. well <laughs> at the very beginning
1: as well so yeah
0: but this this gives you this this book this series gives you uh resleeving which starts getting us into transhumanism right the idea that you can take your essential personality and resleeve it into a new body and then drive that body using um using my sleeve uh, mm-hmm. so you know if you're if you're into your transhuman horror of uh eclipse phase that's where we're starting to beer into that area but it has a lot of other cyberpunk tropes too
1: and um, eclipse phase for those of you out there that's another tabletop role-playing game out there indeed <laughs> and which is pretty cool uh i haven't i haven't played it the whole transhumanism and, and things like that is is pretty cool and transhumanism i'm pretty sure kind of came out of the cyberpunk movement but also some of the some of the sci-fi uh ideas of we live so far away from things and faster-than-light travel really isn't possible how right. would we get to another planet in another solar system and survive and so there's like some ideas of like cryosleep but there's also ideas of you know, like digitizing your brain and storing it in a giant computer and then just building you another body when you get there.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, certainly I think it's, it starts veering back on a more optimistic trend, depending on which transhuman books you're reading. Right. But the idea that we're going to be able to change our species in ways to remedy shortcomings, give us enhancements to allow us to say, live on Mars, right? Mars has, you know, love to visit. But not a great place to live no nope. reduce gravity nope. you know but if you genetically engineer species subspecies of human that can handle that and can handle the bone loss and what have you it's a way of handling it right like they've talked it actually came up in the the new foundation series that was on Apple right like genetically engineering spacers who all they do is live in space right yep. um, that's that's their role and they provide that niche and we see it in um, there's a short story <laughs> out there where
1: Uh, a guy gets um, adjusted so that he can live on one of the Jovian moons under the water. And I think that actually got turned into, I think it's Titan is where he is on. um, But like, uh, I think that got turned into uh, a show on Netflix as well. Oh. Uh, I have not seen it, but the description sounds like that short story. And then uh, Lois McNaster Bujold, before she wrote the Miles Rokasagan saga, wrote a book called Falling Free which was about what they call the quaddies, which are genetically engineered people who live in space. But instead of two legs, they have two more arms and two more hands because right. you don't need yes. feet in space. Right. And so part of the same shared universe as the model of right. Saga. But again, that's tra- more transhumanism, not right. so cyberpunk.
0: Cyberpunk's gonna take, say if you're gonna do these things, you're gonna loot like if you if you just keep hacking off perfectly good body parts to replace with technology, you're eventually going to become inhuman. Is is one of the the driving tropes like because you're you and even we saw it in in Cyberpunk Edge Runners, right? The idea of cyberpsychosis mm-hmm. where you become so disassociated from yourself and others that you just like become a raging maniac, right? Yeah. Um, so talking about that's, and
1: that's for that's for like replacing perfectly good body parts with enhanced body parts not right replacing medical per, like medical prosthetic replacements, you know. Right. Like that that doesn't do anything. It, like at least in terms of like Cyberpunk Red and such like that. But like right. in terms of the Cyberpunk genre, better, faster, stronger if we go with Daft Punk. Um Daft right. Punk is a good is a good <laughs> by the way, Daft Punk would be really good uh soundtrack uh material for any game uh, in cyberpunk, but like better, faster, stronger, you know, like it's not $6 million man. You're not right. You're not improved by it. You are improved by it,
0: but there are costs to that improvement. Right, And that the cost gets greater as you acquire more and more of this technology and lose more and more of yourself in it. So that's, that's the trope. So we can argue it, but you know, that is certainly what cyberpunk is shooting for and what, what, uh, what part of the dark future is. Um, and various things are reactions against that right so talking about movies i mean i think the matrix is probably the cyberpunkish movie that people know the best it certainly pulls in mm-hmm. so many different tropes into it and even in that like you're plugged into uh, spoilers <laughs> i don't think we need spoilers most anymore. of the time you're plugged into <laughs> the matrix, matrix. The, the titular right. matrix and you're trying to get back to something resembling like a human life and so it's got like it's got the style it's got the style over substance it's got like yeah, definitely. You, you, you can't when just plugged kick in. Absolute... Yeah, right.
1: you don't you don't go in in a jeans and t-shirt into the matrix when you're going up against agents. You go in like leather and with tons of weapons and and cool sunglasses and weird cell phones. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> all your the substance there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. You you're going to look good doing it, right? right? And so I think the matrix uh really really just captured all of that, um, and just the style, right—the the the look, the view of it—it it just it, that's what I thought the Matrix would be like. So, in terms of actual cyberpunk movies, Johnny Mnemonic is probably the closest we've gotten to a, like an actual full-on adaptation of a Gibson book. I think so. Because you've got everything—you've got monofilament wires, you've got yeah. uh, Keanu Reeves with uh, his Jackson. head going to. He jacks in, he, his, his head, he has storage inside of his head, and he basically is a courier. He puts yep. way too much into his head, the data into his head, and he has to get it to a location within, I think, 24 hours, or he's going to die because the right. cyber implants are going to rupture. Um, it's got everything, folks. It's got dystopian future. It's got the remnants of a bridge and a society that's like colonized it. It has a cybernetic dolphin. Yep. Yep, ex-military um, dolphin, ex-military cybernetic dolphin that navigates the matrix. Yep. Like it has everything now,
1: and it's it's, it's got ha- all the archetypes too, uh, or a lot of the archetypes of, you know, it's got it's got fixers, it's got it's got medics, it's got Johnny is like the courier kind of face character, it's got uh, street samurai, uh, it's got you know totally like on the edge of cyber psychosis, you know, the street preacher who's got so much in him. There's like not much meat actually left. And it's all against corporate, you know, corporations and Yakuza. Yes. I love the movie. I will also freely admit it is quite campy, <laughs> you know, like, but I, I really love the movie itself. And, you know, it's got Keanu Keanu Reeves as, as Johnny and it's got Ice tea. And uh, I can't remember her name right now. She was also in Starship Troopers and it's got. Oh, shoot. What is his name? Um, the guy who plays Spider, uh, which is the medic Henry Rollins, Henry Rollins. Yeah. I mean, it's got Dolph a decent. Lund- oh, and it's got Dolph, Dolph Lundgren as Dolph Lundgren. the Street Preacher. Yeah, Yes. <laughs> it's got a it's got a good cast, but also it shows its age. Cause it was yes. early, early
0: CGI. Yes. It, and it's only, it's only a few years before the matrix. It came out in 1995, but it's yeah. the matrix has but aged significantly better.
1: <laughs> the matrix had a better budget and yes. a few more years of CGI <laughs> stuff. Uh, the matrix is definitely the better of the movies, but Johnny Mnemonic is a guilty pleasure. I will continually pull out and watch. So. and if
0: you're looking for like cyberpunk inspiration it is yeah you should watch it it is definitely um,
1: a cyberpunk 2020 cyberpunk red or shadow run like game as a movie <laughs>
0: right i think um so max headroom uh, i throw this out there i think oh definitely yeah i mean just like the whole like 20 million channels and nothing on and uh Railing against the like, fighting against the corporations, digitized human being living in your television. Yep. Transfer didn't go quite right, right? right. Like it's, and it's,
1: just, and it's and and the news corp, of feel. the news yeah. corp being not delivering the news, but also wanting the money from blipverts, advertising, right. sort of thing. You know, and and like like the the effectively independent reporter who's trying to blow the lid off of the whole story. You know, it it that is definitely. I would yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, Max Headroom is definitely
0: cyberpunk. So there there is a whole like uh, subgenre or sci genre of of cyberpunk that I just don't know enough about to be able to speak to it. But Akira, I think, is the first anime that I ever watched totally blew me away and it's got like neo tokyo so it has a lot of the tropes of cyberpunk even if it's like more on the genetic mutation side of things right but like mm-hmm. it has got fast bikes it's got like it just it drips that aesthetic but you know i haven't watched ghost in the shell i was just gonna say bubblecomb crisis like these are things that i think i need to go back and watch now as i'm doing kind of like my research for uh, the cyberpunk game um, but you've watched bubble gum crisis, correct? I have watched Bubblegum crisis probably enough for both of us.
1: <laughs> I really liked it. I, I, discovered it in the early nineties and it was, it is directly inspired by blade runner. You know, you have arcologies, you have the giant, you know, giant arcology buildings that are run by a single corporation. And most of the people who work there live in that building. And it's about a group of women who have power suits that are fighting against Genom, which is which is one of the giant corporations who are building effectively Terminators. And so it's it's like what happens if you take Blade Runner and Terminator and put them both together and then have a Sentai super team in power suits fighting against the evil corporation?
0: I don't understand how I didn't watch this. So clearly I need to go back. Um, yeah. Now, Kira is is um by the inspired by the manga of the same name but like it's uh it's more you know it's set in neo tokyo one of the characters starts developing like basically gets exposed to mutation and starts um developing telekinetic and mutated abilities and like just becomes increasingly powerful and everybody's just trying to deal with it there's a lot of screaming Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of yelling but it was a really
1: great Yeah, in in college, uh, my friends and I, uh, we had uh, a tagline for uh, Akira, which is he dies, she dies, everybody dies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's actually fairly true for what I would consider core cyberpunk is live fast, die hard. You know, better to burn out than to fade away if you want to pull in a Highlander quote, there, right. <laughs> But like, you know, it's it is all about, you know, uh, as we said earlier, style over substance, but also it's not the characters in those things are not there to have a happy ending, per right. se, you know, they're they're A lot of times it's they're fighting against things. Sometimes they win. Sometimes they don't. Most of the time they don't survive the end of the story.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) You know, like Johnny Mnemonic, the, the, the movie ends on an upbeat note, but I don't know that the book did. And it's been a long time since I, I don't, I don't know that I ever read the book, but yeah, like, like Akira does not end on a good note. No, no. (laughs) And And Neuromancer, you know, is like, he, it may end on an up note that, you know, he gets what he wants, but he's still like, it's, i don't like he starts off you know and his he's already you know burned out and right. he doesn't really get a whole lot better from there but he still has to he's still compelled to keep fighting right right cyberpunk edge runners nails oh yeah. nails the fe- nails that feeling
0: of that genre perfectly in my opinion yes it is a greek greek it is a geek tragedy tragedy it's all going to end badly yeah right like it's you can see it's all coming it all makes complete like you've said it makes all it makes complete sense within the context of the characters it looks great um you see people you see characters making bad decisions that you know are
1: bad decisions but you also can tell that those characters would make those bad
0: decisions and so I think, you know, as we start to segue into talking about the campaign, which will be next episode, right? Like, that's a thing to talk about with the group as we're figuring out what people are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Setting up a campaign where people have the ability to to fail big, right? Like that you can have that kind of arc for your character or it's it's just okay for those sorts of things to happen right? right like yeah you know because it, it goes to how much you're going to ramp up episode over episode and in and, and the anime you know in the series edge runners right like that's what's happening like every episode they're amping it up he's getting more power and by the end of the season he is David is just like barely recognizable right like there's, right. that's still his kind of core but like he is just like a rampaging monster yeah
1: <laughs> and, and I think um, that's one area where I'd like to discuss tweaking how Cyberpunk Red handles things like combat stuff. Like in combat, it is totally easy for you to die like that. (laughs) If you get into, you know, if, if, if things go really badly, they can go really, really badly. But I also like the idea of, okay, that role means you're going to die but let's you know like if if you the player think yeah fine that's cool you know like maybe they do get shot in the head and they just drop but right. maybe also it's more like you know one of the scene in edge runners where one of the one of the edge runners has already died but the other edge runner is basically staying there and has this final last stand like in my mind in the game that character already dice rolls wise died but we're going to describe this super cool right. scene
0: right. for how that character goes out in a blaze of glory right so i think um you know we mentioned ready player one i know people have a lot of opinions about uh, ready player one it is a guilty pleasure of mine because of the sheer nostalgia but the yeah. thing i like about ready player one that is a thing that you know if you're thinking about the, the far future and there have been a couple of novels that touch on this that were better than this one. Uh, uh, Werder Finge did a great book that we'll have to come back to at some point where it, he has a whole idea of computer archaeology where you're going back and digging through the the operating systems of yesteryear to learn about <laughs> cultures, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, th- there's going to be the detritus of our current civilization scattered around the future, right? And so cyberpunk, and you saw this in Blade Runner where, you know, one of the iconic scenes is like the, the, the air car is flying through you know, the dystopian future, and there's a Coca-Cola sign, right? So I'm not saying it's got to be rat-a-tat-tat culture, uh, pop culture references with Ready Player, which is what Ready Player One turns into. Um, But, you know, I think there's ways that you could use that sparingly, and there are aspects of Ready Player One that are like, when the main character is kind of just in this anti-social spiral where he's just locked himself in his own room and he's just going to like try and like complete this freaking quest. Like he goes to a very dark place mm-hmm. and that's when it's kind of at its most cyberpunky, Right. Ends on a positive note and you know, everybody wins, but well, when um, his, uh,
1: <laughs> when his tower of effectively trailers that, you know, like, yeah. like- when that gets bombed in the his <laughs> you know, the stacks, you know, like that the concept of the stacks is very cyberpunky. Yes. yes. But then also having it bombed by the corporation in an attempt to kill him, also very cyberpunky.
0: And traveling like the, the the dystopian nature of that the, the 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 nature of that particular dystopia where like Columbus is the place to go because they still have power because it's basically powering their version of the matrix, which its name escapes me right now. Right. Like, and to get there, you have to kind of go through the no man's lands of the Midwest, mm-hmm. right. To get to Columbus and Columbus is this bastion of civilization. Cause it has power. <laughs> like that's very, you know, and one of the big bad corporations is there and how he infiltrates the corporation is cool. And so there's a lot in there that, that's interesting. It does get a little, it does get a little much with all the cultural references. but That's one of the reasons why I liked the, liked it that
1: yes. was because yes. it was I grew up like you and I basically grew up and I think are probably a very similar age to the author and so like yes. all those cultural touchstones were our cultural touchstones and because of that I liked the book a lot
0: yes and I understand why people don't yeah, yeah for yeah. the same thing right for the, the same the reason why I, for the same exact reasons it's ridiculous right but yeah. I get it I own it Um, The other ones, I think, you know, so so we might be starting to get into cyberpunk adjacent, but uh, Tron and Tron Legacy. So I think Tron itself is a Disney movie, right? But man, like talk about an aesthetic, right? Like so Mm -hmm. 1982, I think, uh, some cutting edge computer uh, generation for the time, computer generated graphics for the time. Yeah, First, first first movie, I think, that had a lot of cgi yeah true cgi yeah um and just the aesthetic like how it looked like once you got into the computer and this is how it was visualized and because they they couldn't just render it all in cgi they had to use different visual effects to accomplish that and it just looks super cool it does (laughs) it does
1: and and it's it's about one person who is fighting against the evil
0: corporation you know, for the users, for the users, for the users. Yeah, <laughs> but I like the idea of enslaved programs running around the net. Like it was, it was cool when I was writing programs. When I was in, tw- it was twelve. That's what you know. That's <laughs> what I envisioned that I was writing. I was writing a tank so that my program, when it pre- pressed play on the cassette, the tank was rolling through the uh, through the canyons, the digital canyons, and and Drawn legacy cool. revisits it. It's much slicker, um, yep. but has its own aesthetic. has Daft Punk doing the soundtrack. Um, I think if you're just writing cyberpunk stuff, if you're doing your notes, it's a great soundtrack to listen to. It is. Um, and I felt like it was a worthy sequel to it. Like, you know, it had its down points to it. But I think... I think I it was more it. of an
1: evolution of cyberpunk. Like... Yes. Like, past the wave of cyberpunk and into, in some ways, more transhumanism because, you know, like the the ISOs are... Brand new, and they're trying to stop the new thing
0: um, because they're afraid of it, right? And I th- even even um, seeing um, Clue and mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges' digital self, and like the uncanny valley of. So Jeff Bridges is the main character from like the original uh, Tron movie. He's recreated digitally inside of um, the what, what the the heck did they call it? The net, the computer, right? Yeah. And so we see old him. Um, who looks like the Big Lebowski. And then you see, like, the digital version of him, and it looks a little off. But you know what? It's okay that it looks a little off because he's a simulation of his younger self, right? Right. Yep, yep. So some other Cyberpunk-adjacent stuff. Dread? Judge Dread?
1: Judge Dread. Um, I would say it fits more into, like, the post-apocalyptic and, like, almost Mad Max sort of side of things. But there's definitely a side of... There's definitely the feel or aesthetic of cyberpunk you know it's it's mega city one is a giant city and it's super crowded and crime is rampant you know and so i could totally see a game a cyberpunk game set in mega city one i would say if you really want to nail the feel nail the feel of it the judge dread movie with carl urban in it yes when he plays dread that is right there one of the mega apartment buildings in, uh, like cyberpunk 2077, like the, your character V lives in a giant apartment building visually. I think that would fit right there. You know, like you could have the entire judge dread, that entire judge Dredd movie set in V's apartment. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and so the other one I would call out Robocop, original Robocop. I didn't really like the remake. Um, maybe in Robocop two. like certainly have the cybernetics. Yep. Um, but the dystopia of Detroit. The dystopia
1: of of Detroit, or is it new <laughs> Detroit, old Detroit, or is it just Detroit?
0: Detroit? I think well, it's old Detroit, and they're tearing it down to build, you know, the new. I yeah. Don't remember what they call it? It's been a while since I watched RoboCop. Yeah. Um, well, and I
1: remember but, RoboCop know, Two. They were trying to evict a bunch of people so that they could basically gentrify the area. Right. And yeah, yeah, I would say RoboCop and RoboCop Two would would still fit. And, you know, Ed 209 is a lot like, uh, Adam Smasher and stuff like that. Like, like having drones or having, and actually in cyberpunk 2077, there are effectively things that are ed 209s walking around on like Arasaka facilities and stuff like that. Yeah. I would say, I would say that you could fit RoboCop into a cyberpunk era.
0: So I think, um, talking our current touch points, uh, certainly we, we've, beaten cyberpunk edge runners to death but it's good you should watch it <laughs> if you're looking for inspiration mm-hmm. it is definitely worth watching um i put love death and robots on here i think there's a number of sh- I've, I've really enjoyed i guess we're on the third season of love death yes and robots which is a couple of different animation styles often anime but not solely anime runs on netflix um the first season i think had the most episodes subsequent seasons have had like i think 10 episodes each um but definitely some of those have touched on the themes of cyberpunk either dystopian futures hybrid hardware you know all that
1: kind of good stuff the three robots series that are in in each (laughs) season not truly cyberpunk but has the same snark And And like disdain for society or what was society uh, and humanity. Uh, I think that would fit with cyberpunk. There's a bunch of other stuff in there that does not fit with cyberpunk, but there's I would say it also kind of fits like there's a whole era of science fiction around that, that that. Not only is good, but uh, I think you could pull you could mine for science for for cyberpunk games
0: yeah um then uh when gibson actually has a new series out uh what's based on his book the peripheral it's currently out on amazon uh not quite cyberpunk in terms of like cyberpunk as we know it i didn't read the peripheral so i'm actually enjoying seeing where this is going it's more like you're interacting with humans in an alternative timeline this all shows up in the first episodes. This okay. Spoilers. Um, I honestly don't understand what's happening right yet. Cause I've only watched like the first two episodes and they're like kind of teasing things along, but um, there are some interesting things with uh, time and people's places in it. Okay. Um, and how different time streams, I guess uh, interact with one another. So there's a okay. lot going on there, but uh, there's certainly it's manifesting as like virtual reality. Um, people, the, the main characters, think they're in a virtual reality to start with. And so there's certainly I think mm. going to be some tropes carrying over from
1: I think from that's where I thought it is. was like proto cyberpunk, like pre-neuromancer, but it from what you're saying having actually watched it
0: it may not Yeah, be. no. <laughs> not at all. No, no, this is much more about there is something going on further down the timeline and the time of that timeline is interacting with a near future timeline that is still kind of where we're at and it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. Okay. Not Uh, time travel per se. (laughs) I will
1: bump it up on my list. It's more, uh, more multiverse. It sounds like, and where, where time travel, where time, flows differently in different multiverses sort of thing.
0: and you can have different like the, you have splinters and those splinters become basically a fragment off of the main timeline Gotcha. And so when you're interacting with the past you're actually interacting with a splinter i think gotcha. again like this is just based on like the first episode <laughs> yep yep good stuff i think you i think folks will enjoy it i am curious so i've heard black mirror referenced um as a cyberpunk adjacent um you could your future often involves horror involving technology i've never watched it i have never watched um, it either because my headspace was never quite right for it yeah <laughs> but i'm you know what i'm curious about and i was gonna uh i think before this episode drops i want to ask people out on twitter about it i am curious for people who didn't grow up with cyberpunk didn't grow up with Shadowrun. what was your inspiration like where did you come into it was it the matrix was it your dad making you watch the matrix (laughs) like or your mom making you watch the matrix right like was it the new robocop movie like how did you come or was it you know cyberpunk 2077 right like what got you into cyberpunk as a game
1: you know what drew you into cyberpunk 2077 you know like was it was it because it was cd project red and they made the witcher and you love the witcher let's try this science fiction thing And then did you stick with it? You know, like, obviously we're hoping they (laughs) stuck with it. Right. Because a lot of people did not uh, because of the, unfortunately,
0: uh, less than stellar launch quality. (laughs) It seems to have ended, seems to have found it's landed on, like nailed the landing eventually, but it was like. And there's a huge,
1: (laughs) there's a huge resurgence of it because, probably because edge runners came out like a a week or so ago it was i think it was the most played game on steam like like the most concurrent players of a game on steam for a while and so yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely come back from its initial
0: initial poor launch yep so that's where we're at. I think uh, when it come, next up, we're going to be talking about like what we're looking to do uh, for the campaign. I think we're, our our intention is uh, sometime in the new year, twenty twenty three, uh, we'll be running another thing like we did with Scum and Villainy, Probably six episodes. That sounds about right. Maybe eight. You know, maybe a little less. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm planning on running it. Uh, I am we did obviously reading the book. <laughs> we did have some requests for.
1: Uh, watching character creation, or at least, you know, talk, or talk about episode zero sort of thing, depending upon how quiet things are during that, you know, like I right. think it could be really cool. <laughs> I think it could be really cool as long as we're like not nose in a book trying to figure out what, what thing to roll on, but instead, uh, you know, like talking about characters.
0: Um, right. I think that would be cool. Right. Because us listening to us, just Russell pages. Well, well, no, no, I thought that was on page 187. See, there's this little call out here that sends you to the right place. Yeah,
1: I think what we'll do for sure is we'll stream it on Twitch. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But we may not release it as a podcast or release it on YouTube. So let me go ahead and say thank you for listening. And for those who are watching on Twitch right now, thank you for watching. Uh, if you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us podcast at layerofsecrets.com, or via Twitter at layer of We stream this live on Twitch if you wanna, as you as we just talked about. Uh, if you wanna get your fix on things early and unedited, we are Layer of Secrets, one word over there. And you can also visit us at layerofsecrets.com. Uh, leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on what we've talked about. Thanks, everybody. And uh, as the Kurgan says, it's better to burn out than to fade away.